The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Good morning. You know, I was taking my little girl back to uh, the twos and threes class, and I just thought it'd be really interesting if I just didn't come back. It'd be a little bit awkward. No, I, I didn't do that this morning. But I was approached, I was really encouraged Whenever I came in, um, several people approached me and talking about the message. They knew I was going to be preaching today, kind of the last in a series of pinch hitters. And three people approached me. One of them said they wish they would have slept in. The second said they're excited about going to sleep. And the third said keep it to ten minutes. So, you know, I was really, I was really encouraged by that. Thank you for those of you that made those comments. Um, we might be getting done a little early today, so we'll see what happens. Actually, if you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, as I was looking over this, initially, it's funny I say this, but I started to think about um, different conversations that I've had at work. I've had a lot of various different conversations at work, and I'm sure you have as well. So I wanted to really look and see what are top ten conversations that people talk about at work. So here's what I found. Number ten, events. Number nine, food. I'm pretty passionate about that. I talk about that quite a lot with some of you, in fact. Um, number eight, bars, clubs, pubs, and coffee shops. Number seven, career. Makes sense. Number six, hobbies. With that, I would probably include sports. Um, I find that quite often discussed. Number five, women and men. I wasn't too sure what that was talking about, but that was number five. Number four, movies. Number three, books. Number two, traveling. And number one, human psychology. Bet you didn't know you talk about that at work, did you? I say all that because I've been blessed to have a lot of great conversations with people at my job. And I shared a little bit with my community group as it relates to a specific conversation that I had. It was about two weeks ago. Um, one of my new hires that I've been training, he came back to my office and we talked about work for a little while and and then he just really opened his heart up to me and he said, you know, Isaac, my brother, he's got congenital heart failure and he's very likely to die. My sister, she has leukemia and she's very likely to die. And he said, you know, I've been for my family, I've been the glue, I've been the backbone, I'm what holds us together and I don't know what to do. My response to him was, have you considered talking to the person that made your backbone 
that allowed you to be able to stand up straight and answer some of these questions. He looked at me a little bit funny, and then he, then he responded by saying, you know, Isaac, I can see myself sitting in a nursing home by myself with no one around me, no one to love me, no one to care for me. And throughout this, the course of the conversation, I tried to continue to bring it back to Jesus Christ and the gospel Then at one point, he started talking about his spiritual state. And he said, you know, I'm involved in my church. In fact, I'm head of the finance committee. I take care of all the finances. I've got a lot of money. I'm astute. I, you know, I'm pretty proud of myself. And I'm one of the most humble people that I know. (laughs) Which I wasn't sure how that fit into it. And then he said, regarding his spiritual state, you know what, Isaac, if it ain't broke don't fix it. And I said, you know what, Robert? That's the problem. You are broken, and only Jesus can fix you. See, we're going to look at today, this is a broken world that we live in, and hopefully you'll leave understanding that God has chosen to work through the weak and through the broken humanity so that our boasting can only be in Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for this time we can spend together as a family, worshiping you, worshiping around truth, looking at scripture. Father, I just pray this morning that I've put together this message that you would work in people's hearts. And I know in Isaiah we find that your word will not return void. And I pray that that is what would resonate today, that it would be your word and the truth of the scriptures that would be seen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, as most of you know, it was to a group of people that were not the highest in society. In fact, to give you a little context, during this time time period, Rome was in charge of the empire, and there were over 60 million slaves. Now, these slaves, though often treated well, they were gifted, and yet, you know what? Their masters at any given time could maim them, could kill them. So these were really the nothings of society. And in this day and age, to be a nothing was very degrading and demoralizing. It's interesting that this small group of people that Paul is talking to and confronting on a lot of occasions was largely drawn from this type of people. So let's look first of all in verse 26, and we're going to see a paradox of God's wisdom. Now, I could say a pun regarding paradox, I won't, Um, so I'm going to stick to what is a paradox? Some of you grammaticians might understand that. Well, for those that don't, it's a statement or group of statements that leads to a contradiction or a situation that defies logic or reason. I know that's a mouthful, but you'll get the hang of it once we continue to talk about it. So as we look at Paul's writing, and starting in verse 26, you'll be able to look and see this seeming paradox that we find in the passage. So in verse 26, as I read it, really listen in. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Now, Paul begins by talking. What word do you see he uses there? What word to describe them? Anybody see it? Your what? Consider your, consider your calling. 
Now, this is referring to the effectual call upon these people's lives that ultimately results in redemption for that specific individual. Now, think with me of the type of people we all were before we were called. In calling people, God showed no regard for present values or worldly wisdom or merit. In calling them, He chiefly chose those who are a living contradiction to those values. So we're not saved because of something that we've done. It's not because of that. We're saved in spite of the many things that we've done. You see, my conversation with Robert, initially, he didn't think that he needed anything at all. He thought he had it put together. He had his own little world that he was working in, that he was the master of. But as we continued to talk, he told me, he said, you know what, Isaac, I go to bars, I go to clubs, and I sit there, and there's something that's empty inside me. There's something that's just not there. There's a void in my life that I'm trying to fill with other things, video games and various different things, that he's trying to fill this void in his life. And I told him he had to first understand that he was broken, just like this world is broken. And that he's inadequate. And this inadequacy is what makes people aware of their need and will often draw them to Jesus. So it broke my heart to see that he knew what he needed. But guess what? I don't don't want it right now. And he clearly stated that to me. "I I just don't want it. When Paul proclaimed the word of the cross, it didn't attract the wise the affluent, the powerful. But you know what? They're they're not excluded, but often they exclude themselves. Why? Because they reject the wisdom of the cross, which doesn't honor what they've achieved, but rather, you know what it does to achievements? It pours contempt on that. It pours contempt on pride because it's not by the things that we've done. Now, What I want to do is look at verse 27 and 28. And as we read it, I want you to read it as if you've never read it before. So we're going to look at this. So what type of people does God work through? Think about that. We'll look at the text. Verse 27 and 28, it says, But God chose the greatest and the mightiest. Is that what we see? No, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So we've seen four objects in which God works through. Foolish, weak, low, despised. Is that what you were expecting? If you're a first-time reader, is that what you would have expected to see? Probably not. It was interesting, one author that I read, he put it this way. He said, In putting the strong and wise and great to shame, God does not exalt the weak and uneducated and worthless, but He brings all of them down to one common level. And I think if we understand it that way, that's going to really bring clarity on the text. He brings everyone to the same level, recognizing all men are broken. All men are in need of a Savior. 
something that they can't earn on their own. Now, God's wisdom is a kind of paradox in that in human thinking, what is it? The, the strength aspect? Strength is strength. Weakness is weakness. But how does God see it? God sees strength as weakness. Weakness as strength. So that's where we find the paradox in the passage. Now, as I was thinking about the, the whole understanding of weakness and strength, I thought specifically, does anybody know what's coming up here pretty soon where we're going to be able to view a lot of individuals that are extremely strong, athletic? What's coming up? Summer Olympics. I saw something this morning as I was pulling up Yahoo about Carl Lewis. Um, I really wanted, that guy's great, but I wanted to look and see what are some current records that, that people hold. Well, I looked at the 100-meter dash. Does anybody know for the man who holds that? Same bolt. Guess how fast? If somebody knows this, I'll be really impressed. No? Okay. 9.69 seconds. The 200-meter dash, anybody know who holds that? Same guy, Usain Bolt, 19.3. How about the 400-meter? He wears gold shoes. Anybody remember him? Michael Johnson, 43.49. We've got for the ladies, the 100-meter, 10.62. Anybody know that one? Florence Griffith Joyner, what, Flojo? 200-meter. 21.34 seconds. Same lady. Michael Phelps, all of the swimming records. (laughs) I didn't even look up his because we all know. He might be rivaled this year. You know, I actually also found some interesting records that perhaps some of you aren't aware, people that hold the records. I actually found for the 10,000 meter run in one hour and five minutes was Ed Hensler. I was really surprised to see that. Um, and coming in at 15 feet on pole vault, actually, it's Frank Skurdy. So be looking for that. Ja- Javelin toss, Stacy Potts, 250 feet. And then, last but not least, I actually found um, underwater basket weaving. I didn't know it was an Olympic sport, but Jordan Hireman's one basket in four minutes. Way to go, Jordan. <clears throat> so as we bring it back... Um, Jesus, when he went out to find his disciples and pick them, did he go to the Colosseum? No. Did he find the best athlete as we just looked at? Did he look at any of those things? No. Did he go to the temple? Maybe say, you know what, I'm going to go to the temple, I'm going to find the best thinker of the day. No. Did he go to the leaders and say, all right, I want you to tell me who's a promising individual that we can look at? Did he do that? No, in fact, Jesus used common fishermen, unlearned men with no trained accomplishments for his purpose. And you know what? According to God, the greatest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, was John the Baptist. Think through John the Baptist's resume, okay? No formal education, no training in a trade, no profession, no money, no military rank, no political position, no real pedigree. No, in fact, no real oratory or certainly not impressive appearance. What we find in Matthew eleven eleven, you know what it says about him? It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So why did God choose these type of people? 
Well, we're going to look next at the purpose of God's wisdom. So we first looked at the paradox with it, and now we're going to see the purpose of God's wisdom. So in verse 29, we see that it says, So that no man may boast before God. Now, first and primary purpose of the wisdom of God that produces salvation is that who be glorified? Man? Who be glorified? God. So God receives all the glory in this process. Now, there's nothing that we have to boast in. It's freely received and freely given. Now, Ed talked two weeks ago from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And that really hones in specifically on this piece in that it's nothing that we've done. We were given these things by God. So in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, listen with me. Most of you probably haven't memorized. Listen who gives these things. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see boasting again. We can't boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared before... Who prepared? God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's so easy to boast in our own accomplishments. It's so easy to boast in the things that we've done. I know in the environment that I am in, sometimes you're boasting really helps you get to the next level as it relates to work. You're boasting in yourself. What about as Christians? Are there ways that we boast? Well, what about, you know, I evangelized this person today. I gave them a track today. Do we start checking things off our list? We often do, and it's easy to do that. Whatever we may do before one another, we have absolutely nothing to boast in before God. Our identity and our security, they're created in belonging to Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we're marked by the cross. We shouldn't be marked by something else. As we talked about in Sunday school today, we talked about the idea of identity being in Christ. So when How does God define that? How does God see us? Well, for those that have trusted, He sees us in light of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He doesn't see us. He sees His Son's accomplished work. And the Father's wrath was propitiated. His wrath came down. Who should it have come down on? It should have come down on us. Instead of us, who who is this wrath poured out on? His wrath was poured out on His Son. Look with me at verse 30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Clearly we see that we are sourced in Jesus Christ, that our new life is derived directly from God. We're new creatures. We're not dead anymore. We're not living in the flesh. We are living in light of Jesus Christ's accomplished work. And we are a new creature, a new creation, a light to this world. God made Christ to become true wisdom for us. Look with me at Romans chapter 9, verse 11. We're going to touch on a couple of verses here. One in Romans 9, verse 11. 
and the other in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Romans 9.11, it says, Though they were not yet born and had done neither good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. Alright? It's because of Him who calls. It's not because of the things that we've done. There's my fourth person that said, Isaac, it's, you shouldn't be up here today. It's because of Him who's called us, and it's not because of the things that we've done. Alright, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone... Oh, I love this. You love this? If anyone is in Christ, what is he? He's not old anymore. He is a new creation. The old is gone. The old is done away with. We are with Christ. The new has come. All this is from God. It's not for, it doesn't say all this is from Isaac. It's not. This is all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. One author suggested that to be in Christ is to be closely related to all those others who are in Christ. This family idea, we talked about this this morning as well, the family idea of being connected, all those that are in Christ are connected. We are a family, we are close-knit. We are there to rebuke, we are there to correct, to instruct, to guide each other. If it was all up to me, just like in the scenario I gave you to begin with, that illustration... If it's all up to just me, guess what? That is not going to work. We need each other. We need the encouragement of a body. And I really feel like here at Cornerstone, we have a close-knit family that works together. And our desire is not for our own, but our desire, as it's been stated so many times from this pulpit, is to give glory to God and to mature one another. All right. So we see at the beginning of verse 30, there's a strong conjunction there, but, and the emphatic you. Now this sets a strong contrast for us between this and worldly wisdom. And notice, Paul has outlined four purposes of the believer in the passage. All of these things are not earned, they're not attained, they're not procured by us. Instead, they're given to us. All right, first of all, we see believers are given wisdom from God. Not only are we saved by the wisdom of God, we're given God's wisdom to replace our own because we're a new creature. We can confidently say that we have become wise in Christ Jesus. And the wisdom that Christ has given us is so much more rich, so much more satisfying, and it's true life. Man is not saved by his own intelligence, accomplishments, or wisdom. Today, if you are trusting in any one of those things, then it's misplaced, and it's gravely misplaced. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the only way. There's one way. There's a lot of other paths in different directions, but there is only one way. And that's through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. 
the understanding with this idea of wisdom, it does carry with it a progressive aspect. Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So the initial gift of wisdom was given to them, but the apostle is concerned that they continue to grow in wisdom. So this continuance we find, we can look towards Scripture. We can encourage one another. Once again, we see a family aspect here as well. We do this together, even though our Western culture is very, very individualistic. It's about me. It's about what I can do. It's about my performance, because we're very performance-driven and not family-driven and driven by truth. Believers are given, secondly, righteousness from God. Now, this means that they are made right with God. I know you're not supposed to define a word with its very word, but I'm going to today. His rightness means that things are as they should be. So this righteousness, it's how it should be. It's how things are supposed to be. God is totally righteous because He is totally as He should be. And you know what? This should be a good reminder for us and highlight the fact that we are undeserving of this status. This stance of right standing before God because we have broken God's law. We do not deserve righteousness and it is not as it should be on ourselves, it's only because God gives us this right standing. Romans 4, 5, it says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. It's counted to him as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came. Jesus took on flesh. He took on humanity. He took our sin, what we rightfully deserved, on Himself. Thirdly, we see that believers are given sanctification from God. We could never attain this sanctification on our own. Now, this is one we think that we can so often. We think we can earn it, but this is given. Positionally, we are sanctified. We are set apart to God. Now, we do, we live daily. Our desire is to be more like Christ, serving Him in every situation. And guess who begins to bear fruit in our lives? The Spirit. Let's look at Galatians 5.22 and see the fruit that the Spirit brings forth in our lives. Galatians 5.22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those 
who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So even in verse 24, we find that those desires have been crucified with Christ. That speaks to our old nature, our old flesh. And we are now a new creation with Christ Jesus. Christ is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession and to the praise of His glory. Let's look in verse 31 next. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Even though we've received God's wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, we have no ground for pride or boasting. Because we did not earn it, we don't deserve it, And the wisdom that man has can produce none of these things. Hopefully I'm driving this point home and you can really see that it's not about us. It's not that God cannot or will not save the affluent. It's really not. But for Paul, the glory of the gospel does not lie there. Rather, it lies in his mercy toward the very people whom most of the affluent tend to write off, the foolish, the weak. And the despised. This morning, as you think about this, I really want you to focus on the fact that God has saved us. He's given us so many things, so many blessings that we so often take for granted. And in Jeremiah, really, this is where Paul gets this. So in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, it was read this morning, and this is talking about the whole idea of boasting. Where does our boast? Who should we boast in? And the author, if you've read this and think about it, this is strong. He does not beat around the bush whenever he talks about boasting. Let me read what it says, and I'm going to place emphasis on certain words. Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24. This is where Paul pulls this boasting idea. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's powerful. That's strong. Who should we boast in? Who should our boast be in? Should it be in ourselves? No. It should be towards God. That's the only person we should be boasting in. Looking at Galatians 6, verse 14, it says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Our boast should only be in the cross of Christ. As we live every day, as we teach our children, men, as you teach your wives, wives, as you submit to your husbands, you know what? Our boast only should be in Christ, in Christ alone. For those that have trusted Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute now, reflect on where your heart once was before trusting Christ, and think about how the gospel has But it's not just a one-time thing. 
the gospel continues to refine you, to mold you. We are the potter in the, in the hands. Actually, we are the clay in the hands of the potter. I want you to think about how far God has brought you in your walk with Him. For those in this room that have not trusted Christ, maybe right now you're like my coworker. Maybe you're like Robert right now, where you know what you need to do. You have this void in your heart that's just getting bigger. This void isn't going to get smaller. It's going to get bigger. And you're going to realize more and more that you need something external to yourself to save you. And if the Spirit's calling you right now, I want you to call out, God, I need you. Change my heart. Give me the faith to first understand my status. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Secondly, to recognize that you do need a Savior and one that lived perfectly, died, didn't stay dead, because then we'd have no hope. He rose again victorious over the grave. Take a minute right now, if you'd bow your head, and in a couple minutes I'm going to lead us in a final prayer. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we can approach the text with confidence as the Spirit guides us as we read and understand and that we wouldn't just have the knowledge but rather that we would have the faith and confidence in who you are and that you can work through us, broken humanity, broken humanity that needs a Savior There's brokenness everywhere, Father. We see it. We hear about it. We recognize it. And we know that you're the only one that can save us. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would just guide each individual's heart and mind in this room. That if your spirit is working in an individual's heart and drawing them to yourself, their hearts being softened, that they would call out to you And that those that have trusted Christ would continually call out to you. We love you. In Jesus' name.